Sam. Hello, I'm Tom. And we, uh, we run Doggerland. <laughs> so this is the first of this new series of podcasts yes. that we're putting out into the world yeah. in the lead-up to the launch of the fifth issue of Doggerland Journal. The issue, Sociality and Idiocy, we're working with six writers who are Sky Arundhati Thomas, Maria Blythe, Laura Harris, Tessa Norton, Rebecca O'Dwyer and Madeline Stack. Each podcast will be an interview with one of the writers from 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 the journal. Um, and then there's ours. With this, we, yeah. <laughs> with this little intro to start us off. Um, where me and Tom are going to be talking about some of the ideas that brought us to the point of doing the open call in the first place. Ideas around idiocy and sociality. What our particular interests in these topics were. Um, A little bit of background on Doggerland for those of you that like maybe are coming to the project anew. Um, with no prior knowledge to it, to what we've done in the past. And the ice sled. And the ice sled, of course. Forgot the ice sled. Can't forget. Can't. Don't. Don't forget the ice sled. Alongside this episode, you'll be able to pre-order the forthcoming publication on sociality and idiocy, which will be published and distributed next month. Hope you enjoy this episode and keep an eye out for the next six podcasts to come. Cool. Bye. Bye. start i guess i guess like if we imagine that we're like i guess we should start with doggerland giving an introduction into doggerland Mm -hmm. just for people that may never have heard of it before or Mm -hmm. like you mean actual doggerland historical no no okay like we can leave that out people can google that okay so doggerland started See, it actually, I think, started in 2013, didn't it? Yeah. Which makes it six years old, which makes it sound older than it should be. It's yeah. kind of like... So normally when people ask, I say, we've been going since, like, 2015, 16, yeah. when arts council funding kicked in uh-huh. for that period. Because that's kind of when it, like, ramped up and identity kind of changed into something more akin to what it is today. But... Yeah, we started it officially in probably, yeah, back in 2013, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, And you were still in Bristol. Yeah, I was still in Bristol. And both of us have been involved in running artist-led projects in the city for a while by that point. But we're both kind of, like, chatting about a kind of, like, a like slight disaffect with, like, the the engagement around uh like 
conversations in visual arts in the mm. city that wasn't under the banner or wing of like the main public institutions. Mm-hmm. So it felt like there was an underrepresented community of artists wanting to engage in topics beyond exhibition making. But like something was happening there that we thought was interesting that wasn't really being like given space to or something that wasn't really being like like something outside like you say like outside of an inst- institutions like that there was this ton of activity that was going on but it was being lost or something that there was something that was interesting there that wasn't just a kind of scaled down or amateur version of institutional practice. Yeah. There was something else, that there was something in, inherently of its own or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And I feel like we wanted to um, have quite an informal web presence. I mean, the media landscape sort of in 2013 is really different to what it is today, you know, like, of course, social media existed, but it wasn't really, I mean, Facebook was probably the primary driver. Twitter wasn't really the kind of site where you would engage in conversation or like threads of ideas, mm. or it, would, it wouldn't necessarily be a, a, a space to go to to s- seek that out mm. as it is today. Yeah. So I think Facebook was in parallel with, like, quite an informal, like, I think it was a blog spot or something to begin with. Mm, that's right. It was just, or just, a Tumblr. Or a Tumblr, Tumblr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so old school. <laughs> yeah. But just Facebook and Tumblr just being used as primary drivers to kind of, like, flag uh, content that we started to write. From what I remember, we, like, the project got set up and it was, a, it, you know, that was just, like, our initial conversation in some ways, wasn't it? But we, like, just immediately, when we got money, we got money because it was, like, to set the project up to um, go and interview artist-led projects. Yeah, I think, like... Around the country, around the UK. Our horizon sort of was, like, just quickly expanded to the rest of the UK. Yeah. Because we just realised that this kind of disdain around... uh, a want for a kind of further conversation or other types of conversation between artists um, that wasn't facilitated by a kind of main institution uh, was probably also happening in other cities where there are many other kind of artists running project spaces. And we wanted to be a kind of like bridge or a facilitator in some way. That's right. And just start collating uh, these projects all on, on our own domain as a kind of flagging, as a way of kind of having these conversations with other artists and start to build a a great idea or a picture as to the kind of current moods or the current kind of issues being experienced uh, across the country, like different cities, rural areas, um, really different contexts mm. in terms of how lively a place might seem, how supportive or unsupportive the universities might be or the local council, yeah. stuff like that. But um, also, like, even just, like, um, internal basis, like, how were these projects being run? 
Like, yeah. um, what kinds of goals and desires were like playing into the project? Mm-hmm. Like, where what was the context in which it came out of? Mm-hmm. Like, what was the context that it was responding to? Mm-hmm. Um, felt really important. I I can really strongly recall us. Um, very quickly starting to kind of like articulate a kind of politics of sorts in relationship to like the projects that we were meeting where we would like go to one and it would be like whoa this is so exciting what you're doing is so cool Mm. and like feels really radical and like you're really like questioning yourself and as a result of questioning yourself you're doing quite exciting unusual weird work and then going to others and it being like oh sure you've like got a definitive system and you have it in place and you do that all the time like 10 shows a year Mm -hmm. 10 solo shows Mm -hmm. maybe like a party Mm -hmm. um which is great and has its, well, can be great, and but certainly has its place mm. in a kind of wider ecology of art practice. But like, um, also didn't feel like it felt. It was really interesting how quickly it was like, oh, there's something happening here, mm. and then that's quite different to the thing that's happening mm. here. Yeah, I think we quickly learned from going around the country and I mean we only interviewed about 15 or so spaces 20 projects maybe in total before we got to the point where it's like this is not the kind of discursive like exciting aspects of what this project was initiated for yeah because of the conversations that we were having with some spaces where it was just same kind of frustrations and problems and relationships with funding bodies and like just quite formulaic um sentiment almost or something like and more often than not they tend to be the kind of places around the UK where there's like a a definitive kind of bubble in some respects because there's kind of project spaces are operating like a stepping stone both for the artists that are sort of recently sort of graduated emerging but also the coordinators of those project spaces themselves are, you know, wanting to land that kind of curatorial system role in yeah. an institution somewhere or yeah. a, a, a better funded project space, you know. So yeah. there's there's that kind of imitation of professionalism that like, blankets the whole uh, kind of conduct and personality of a space. Mm. And it kind of deprives, like, this the context in which it's in, in terms of, like, the, the building it's operating from, the the city they're operating within, the people around them, like, the the local issues of the place, you mm. know. When they become in mini-institutions, mm-hmm. I guess this is, the, this is the thing that kind of, like, we would notice again and again. I mean, not just, you know, which, again, I'm not... Like, obviously, we do have a degree of criticality about that way of operating. But it's also not to say that, like, like it has a place. Yeah. Um, 
it just maybe wasn't like something we were that interested in. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, or have has certainly at least has analogies to kind of like a notion that like just because you're gay doesn't make you queer or something inherently. <laughs> like um, just because you're artist led mm-hmm. doesn't make you. I don't know what the other word is. <laughs> DIY? Or, like, doesn't make you... Um... But it's not to, like, write off these project spaces because I will still always make time for them and always sure. want to go and visit, like, any kind of space that is, you know, showing an exhibition by an artist if, and like, in a different city. But great work can be made in those. Absolutely, yeah. You think that's... It's completely not to say that, like, they, they don't have a place. Mm. It's just, like, we just... It defined our relationship to this project in a way that we just didn't want to write kind of press releases for gallery spaces that are operating in this, um, yeah, kind of parallel institute form. Um, and also it feels like, you know, obviously, like, the the landscape of, like, art or art criticism... It's, like, totally changed over, like, the past few years, you know, there's... Well, it hasn't, it hasn't. Well, in terms of maybe impacts... Well, I don't know, I'd still argue maybe impacts in some ways, you know. There's certainly more accountability, but... It feels like there's there's multiple voices that weren't there before. Sure, yeah, that's very true. Um, And... We never maintained or even got going like the amount of energy that other people publishing online have, you know. Of course. In terms of like reviewing exhibitions or. Oh yeah, um, I don't think we can even like count the amount of re- reviews we ever did on our online. Well, no, I think we can. That's the problem. <laughs> on like our hands, <laughs> like, you know? I mean, on two hands. I think maybe I may we only need one hand. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> And you can remove the thumb, probably, <laughs> yeah. just the fingers. Um, and yeah, I think we just didn't want to pretend that like we wanted to create a project that was going to be an active voice, uh, a current voice that you could go back to week upon week and there'd be like a new conversation or review of an exhibition. Um, we, we like just spread ourselves out to try and cover all bases and, yeah, immediately felt the kind of displeasure in doing that.
the the topics like sociality and idiocy weren't then like there sort of like these burning kind of like topics or these kind of themes that needed addressing you know sort of (laughs) after issue four was out I mean we kind of had like a bit of a break after that you know yeah and deciding what to do um but we knew that we wanted to offer an open call to broaden our kind of reach and uh like knowledge of artists and writers who would be interested in responding to some of the themes and topics that were like developing between us from some of the previous writing that we had commissioned an event that we held in uh, East Bristol Contemporary at the end of 2016 um, which drew together some of these topics around kind of uh, community and love and joy and where and how can they operate kind of within sort of spaces that are you could class maybe within artist-led or kind of artists' own private practices. For sure, quite a strong strand that had come out of, like you say, in particular, I guess, um, we we really tried to articulate something around that with the East Bristol Contemporary event, which, you know, where we could... So we had commissioned um, three, three new texts by Sophie Hoyle, Casper Heinemann and... Lewis Stenhertug, Phil Owen, we've already mentioned, did a um, like really beautiful singing performance. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Hannah Gregory made us this like super great um, audio piece with around like riffing off of um, her previous interview with Jessie Darling um, that had bits of recording from. Um, Jesse Darling and then and like other people and bits of music in it. Um, but like I guess that really kind of articulated something that we felt was really interesting to hone in on. And I guess that, that kind of like cuts to the core of like what at that point what we were interested in with the artist led. Like it's like okay, what's it's not actually like like, the most interesting part of it was, like, getting groups of people together. Like, a group of people spending time together. What happens there? Like, it comes back to this Fred Moten quote, um, that we, like, opened the open call for the fifth issue with, which is a, like, beautifully weird circular bit, which he just... I mean, I think this is from a... Like, a talk that he gave with, um... So with Stefano Honey or Yeah, Stefano Honey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so it says we're interested in the moment at which this weird inkling begins to occur, in which you realise that what we've been trying to figure out how to get to is how we are when we get together to try to figure it out. <laughs> um Yeah, which is this great weird circularity to it. Mm-hmm. Um but like felt really it was like, ah oh, yeah, that that's that's exactly it. Like, that's... It's not actually necessarily, like, the work you're doing together. It's the getting together to do the work that's key, or was key to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, like, drawn to this this quote because it obviously sort of then mirrored uh, 
or held up a kind of mirror to kind of like what me and you do. Like, yeah. And yeah, that's really true. We, we, what is it that defines these times where we travel between Bristol and London or chat on Skype or whatever that brings a kind of aspect of excitement or there's joy or there's some kind of like uh, quality of that moment that feels distinctly outside of maybe other time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know whether that in itself kind of defines um, an aspect of pleasure or passion in some way. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, it, it offered a, a a kind of inquiry to drill into potentialities of artist-led practice in some ways. Whatever it is that is required to be or conducive to enable what it is that occurs when you get together with other people Mm. um that from from it kind of emerges this uh a sense of collective joy in some way i guess Mm -hmm. um when you're kind of like pulled together through some kind of uh like framework whether that's like you know, a space or a project or something that you're defining as you're going along, like, there, there's, like, a, a certain energy or something to it mm. that has different qualities to outside of, um, outside of, like, those moments, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And invariably, you know, like, invariably nothing ever really does actually come off those things unless it's, like, a really kind of structured or, like, you know, we need to talk about this or mm-hmm. we need to get this done or whatever, mm-hmm. but... You mean you're talking specifically about, like, when me and you talk? Yeah, or just, like... I, what you mean yeah, I, in, in, I think, like, where there is that kind of framework of a, a kind of a plan around something. And, I mean, I guess our kind of framework is the kind of broader artist-led kind of sphere. So I think I'm, you know, thinking through terms of how, like arts run spaces can be conducive to this kind of mm-hmm. quality because you're in this kind of uh, space, this zone that feels kind of slightly autonomous. And... Mm. Yeah, for sure. It makes me think about about two other um, sort of Fred Moten-related things, mm. um, one of which being... I think is in the same talk with Stefano Harney, where he um, he's he's talking about a, some advice he gives to his students when they ask him, like, how do you how do you go about writing poetry? And he talks about how his first bit of advice to them always is, you get together and you start drinking, um, which I think is a, is like great. <laughs> as like and and a really concrete way of like articulating it's like no it's not just like like you know a, a sort of I guess a classic western aesthetic version of that would be like um, particularly with writing would be like just start writing you just need to start writing you just need to like hone in on yourself 
find your voice. Mm-hmm. Find like you know, once you've written enough, you'll just be a great writer. Mm-hmm. Like his his articulation of it is like get together with friends and talk about writing, and writing will occur. Mm-hmm. Like, and then, and the related to that, but the other another part of it is I can, and I can't remember the name of the theorist that he cites but he talks about this kind of like um this particular book which articulates a kind of like counter hegemonic view of of aesthetics which is, is is basically says that like you know western aesthetics has got it wrong um because the thing that it largely does is ignore the social aspect like it articulates our objects as like, which, you know, if you think about how we've been trained in university, like, this is absolutely how, how we were trained. Like, think about the work as a discrete entity, you know? This is a thing that's discrete from you as a person mm-hmm. and discrete from your social world. Mm-hmm. It's an it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a object adrift in a white room. Mm-hmm. And that's how you need to think about it. It's like, he says, like, no, that's wrong. Mm. And it's always been wrong that we think about it like that. Mm -hmm. That, like, art emerges from social scenes, Mm. from groups of people spending time together, talking to each other. Mm -hmm. Objects begin to emerge. Um, And that's just something that we've, like, forgotten or we don't look at ever Mm. this kind of like key factor in production um which is that which is which is it emerging out of social scenes Mm. yeah which i just really like vibe off of because that feels really pertinent yeah yeah and that kind of like western tradition of like uh modern capitalism and uh consumer capitalism you know like just discrete objects with hidden labor practices behind like this thing just exists for my consumption yeah and i think like you know art and that plays in plays in that kind of role in a similar capacity of like being uh, sort of autonomous of uh anything but the kind of uh like just genius manifestation without the kind of like labor processes and everybody involved behind the conceit of that idea mm. which is inherently informed by like the the people surrounding that mm. other artist or you know
um, it kind of does like that kind of chimes a little bit with like Bung Cho Han's uh, psychopolitics book, which kind of led a lot of the interest like within uh, his calling like the last chapter around like the role of idiocy, which is the other half of the book. Um, but the majority of the book kind of speaking about uh, like a contemporary situation where we are just sort of the auto-exploiters of ourselves, like, moved on from Foucault's panoptics and, uh, and biopolitics, biopolitics mm. and the surveillance state, and now we are just, like, the constant surveillance, self-surveillance. Mm. Um, and, you know, it just talks about the kind of, like, the, the kind of consumption of politics as a kind of, like form of like passive intake or whatever and I suppose like maybe like going back to kind of like Moton's quote about how it is when we get together is almost like a kind of like a, a kind of slight like turn away from that in some respects of moving away from this like consumer position mm-hmm. to something that I don't know I don't want to pitch it as kind of like production or you know like it's the antithesis of that in any way but it feels like there's some kind of degree of um I don't know agency within in those moments for sure this in some ways does get us onto the concept of idiocy I think there's in like it's an interesting in some ways Fred Moton's it's like the other, one of the other sides to the coin. Fred Moton's articulation is very much a kind of like um, resistance practice, like um, that says, like you know, just get together, be with people, like um, that you effectively can operate outside of the surveillance state. You can be, like, outside of capitalism if you, like, get together and talk with people and do things. Like, that you that you, you don't have to just be this individual on their own. Like, desperately trying to get their money, their, to get paid. Mm. It's obviously not a clean alternative because, like, th- those demands are still there. Mm. But, like, it is at least a way of bringing value and passion into your life. Mm. Um, and then idiocy feels like another form of resistance. Or at least that was how it... That, I mean, that's how it's kind of... about. Yeah, that's how it's kind of pitched. Yeah. At the end of the book. As a potential. Yeah, as a kind of... We should cherish, like, silence, in a way. And be selective as to when we speak. (laughs) I mean, not literally, but also kind of literally in some (laughs) ways. Um, It's kind of like a a dropout politics. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, on the surface has it seems desirable in a way to kind of 
just disengage, just mm -hmm. stop feeding the system that you oppose. That's the only way of creating kind of like breakthrough or breakdown in some way mm. by stop feeding, stop feeding it. But you've got to feed yourself, obviously. And so like, it just obviously always throws into a question of um, position and privilege in a way. Yeah. I mean, like, the, yeah, immediately it's like, who can afford to drop out? Yeah. Who can afford to disengage? Yeah. I guess, like, I mean... But there's something else Han, Han yeah, speaks, like, about uh, idiocy, not just as a kind of, like, disappearing act, but as just... Uh, you know, as a unengaged or uninformed, unnetworked individual. And I think, like, I don't know, I, I wonder whether it, it probably always has to be an individual uh, kind of mission. Mm. I don't know whether it can be a collective project mm -hmm. of en masse, unnetworked uh, politics, in mm. a way. Um that's quite an interesting proposal too. Yeah. But those that follow that path and choose to unengage and be unnetworked and play the fool are probably those that have the ability or the option or the choice to kind of choose their visibility in that way. Mm. Like, um, can choose to have a voice or not probably those that are marginalized or are not given a voice don't have the same access to choosing how they wish to participate within society or not for sure i mean they clearly don't no like so it kind of speaks of a strategy that's um got many holes in it in itself uh, coming from a position of uh, inherited power idiocy like to bring it back into sort of like the artist led is to kind of like reel back and think about the merits of idiocy compared to say like uh, the tendency of professionalisation mm, sure and like the openings that idiocy can afford where you're not operating within a professionalized self, a, mm -hmm. a kind of self-surveying self, self-exploitative self. Mm -hmm. self, -ex self. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I hadn't actually ever thought of it like that. But I think, I that. you know, that the idiots of today are the people in parliament, you know, they're the kind of contemporary idiot right now, mm. right? And the amount yeah. of apparatuses and props like necessary in order to get away with saying as whatever you want and act however you want. You know, it seems a bit farcical to try and like slap this on something like artist-led. But I suppose like coming back to the sociality and, like, how is it when we are, when we get together, like, a lot of our conversations are always born out of a kind of 
utopian thinking, like, oh, these are the possibilities of what what this community can be about, mm-hmm. you know? And within that is some utopian vision of all being idiots, mm-hmm. of playing the fool, of kind of not participating. Mm-hmm. As this like podcast series, yeah, like what you know, like we've commissioned these writers to write essays, mm-hmm. and like, is there something that's kind of like inherently undercutting the kind of like argumentation um, by like them being like, you've written this thing, you've like articulated in its most perfect form, your argument, can you now talk to us about that too? Mm-hmm. Like, what is its supplementary for, like purpose? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that's a really, you know, interesting kind of like, it's like, we're almost like um, encouraging idiocy back into mm. the conversation. Like, at what points do you, like, talk around this subject, these subjects, idiocy, sociality, mm. and the different way, you know, because obviously each person has approached it in in, in vastly different ways. Yeah. And, and are not by, you know, these, these, these two topics are, like, the things that we are interested in, um, but it's like we're just the starting point. Our writers have then come along and, like gone off in like wild directions mm. from those starting points mm. and like vastly in- enriched the space of these two topics mm. like um with their approaches to it yeah yeah it's kind of like just questioning like the, the kind of like the core motives of the project in some way mm-hmm um, and you wonder why you're doing it, and it's kind of like you wonder, like you know, artists or you know, or anybody like musicians, filmmakers, or whatever, like go through the same process at some point. It's like, why, why, why am I doing? Mm. Why am I doing this? Yeah. Well, and, and which that which goes back to, I think it's like I think that's a really nice way of putting it. That like there's um there's a kind of um, actualization of of that Fred Moten quote about like like 
what are we doing when we get together to talk about what to do? Like, it's like, um, you know, which is like on a really basic level, what I love about podcasts in general, like I love listening to podcasts where people like writers or musicians or artists or filmmakers are talking about like why they've made this thing. What did this thing that's this like that I'm experiencing as a discrete object, where did it come from? Mm. What did it come out of? Like, and in turn, like, you know, engaging with kind of like these essays that we've commissioned, these ideas that we've been thinking around, like, where did they come from? Like, it's like setting this, these, these thoughts, these texts back into conversations which gives them a degree of, it's like, both makes them like more accountable, but also like, um, more, but also like less rational or something. Mm. It's like, um, because it sets them back into like being born of the passions of people rather than like, you know, this strange, rational bubble that appears from nowhere mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's really nice 